Governor Kathy Hochul has announced that New York State will be lifting indoor masking and vaccine requirements in public spaces effective tomorrow. The move makes New York the latest blue state uh, start on the mandate off-ramp. Despite the growing defection over public health requirements, the CDC keeps singing the same tune, offering no indication that it plans on changing its recommendation that children and adults remain masked up and vaccinated in indoor settings. I'll take a look at the latest in the fight to demuzzle Americans in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Freedom hangs in the balance, my friends. The freedom to breathe air, to go about your life normally. That is the fight we are still in right now. And make no mistake about it, even if they suspend these requirements, that's not enough. They have to make it go away forever because it didn't work, because they never should have done this crap in the first place. That should be our mission. Now let's take a look at what's actually happening in this battle for sanity. ABC News reporting that Governor Hochul lifts the uh, vax or mask mandate for New York businesses, but is keeping it for schools. What the heck is that about? So now kids can go to the grocery store, they can go to the movie theater, they can go to... You know, Chuck E. Cheese, whatever. No mask. But they got a mask up when they're in school? Why? What sense does any of this make? First of all, the mask mandates didn't keep kids from getting COVID, didn't keep anyone from getting COVID. So what the heck are they doing? Oh, this is all about the tribalism of American politics now. And also, a lot of neurotics who have been created because they were terrified, absolutely terrified in 2020 when it was time to beat Trump by making everybody as freaked out as possible about COVID, and they've never recovered from that. I have to mask, I have to double mask, triple mask. Didn't work. We also know they're hypocrites on this issue, enormously uh, dishonest and disingenuous about whether they think they should mask or not. Let's just take the example of Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams got a lot of attention this week. A woman who is the fake governor of Georgia, still says she won that election even though she lost. And she was seen without a mask in a photo. Uh, Then she said, first of all, it was Black History Month, as if that in any way had anything to do with the topic at hand. But, you know, trying to uh, get away with clear hypocrisy. And then beyond that, she said it was only for that photo you see there. Turns out that's not true. It turns out she, there are more photos now up on the OutKick website that that's where they broke the story, that... She was unmasked pretty much all day, walking around. She's an obese adult, so she's at considerably higher risk than the children around her, 100 times, maybe 1,000 times greater risk, more likely to be infected with a serious case, which means her viral load likely be higher, and therefore she's a greater danger of spreading the virus than children would be. She walked around without a mask all over the place, all day, lied about it lied about it. Do the libs care? Are they saying, wow, Stacey Abrams, she's a huge fraud? No, of course not, because Stacey Abrams is important to the Democrat Party, and they're trying to make her a very prominent politician, so nothing else. The truth is irrelevant to them. So why are we still masking up in school? What's going on with that? Well, Stacey Abrams, here she is saying that uh, we're just not at a place yet where we should lift the mask mandates. Watch. Do you think it's time to to lift these mask requirements in schools? Would you lift them if you were governor of Georgia? 
COVID hygiene is going to be a point of debate for a very long time, and we can only follow the science and follow our circumstances. Unfortunately, in Georgia, we're not at a place where that conversation is ready because we have one of the lowest vaccination rates in the country. We have 40% of our counties without general pediatricians, and we've refused to expand Medicaid so so many families don't have access to health care. We can't take masks off of children because we haven't expanded Medicaid access? I mean, is this really? This is the woman that they want to be the next governor of Georgia, by the way. And after that, probably run for president of the United States. What was that all about? It's absurd. These people are nonsensical. These libs are out of their minds, including the blue check MDs and government public health officials that are running around. Here is Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, saying masking in schools was really helpful to slow the spread. Watch. When it comes to masks, Senator, what we know, we've learned in the last few years in particular, is that masks are a helpful tool to help reduce spread of the virus. When we look at schools, in fact, that have masking, there is less spread and there are, in fact, fewer school closures as a result of there being less spread of the infection. Now, do, do parents in an ideal setting want their kids in masks? No parent would want a mask if it's not needed. Um, I think what our goal should be is to get to a place where we can pull back on these uh, types of restrictions. No, no, wrong. Stop lying. We did not learn in recent years that masking stops the spread in schools. We learned the opposite. In fact, we look at the data. Stop being a liar. You're supposed to be a public health official. It's disgusting. You're wrong. Admit it. You went along with the apparatus. You went along like a little coward. You were doing all the talking points the Biden regime wanted, and it didn't do a damn thing. And in fact, all it did was hurt people. That's who you are. That's who you've become now as a public health official. Same thing with Rochelle Walensky. She's out there, the head of the CDC. This woman's an imbecile. And she's saying they should still have masking in public indoor settings. Watch this. We continue to recommend masking in areas of high and substantial transmission. Um, that's m much of the country right now in public indoor settings. And so we're, of course, taking a close look at this in real time. And we're evaluating rates of transmission of, uh, as well as rates of severe outcomes um, as we look at um, up updating and reviewing our guidance. What a feckless little bureaucrat. You've got to be kidding me. Rates of high and substantial transmission. Wait, we, why do we have rates of high and substantial transmission? We had over 200 million people get vaccinated. We've had tens of millions of people already had the virus before that they had natural immunity. Shouldn't we be fine? Oh, no, we set all-time records for cases in this country. Despite the masking and the social distancing, these people are jokes. Only it's not funny. Oh, if we're going to speak about unfunny jokes, the chief clown himself. Fauci, a little lab coat fascist. What do you think he's saying? We're not, keep in mind the UK, all restrictions gone. Other countries have said, we're, we're done with all this. We're not doing this stuff anymore. We've, the people have had enough. Because it didn't even work. That's the part of it they're not even admitting. It's not like we had some big success and now they're letting us have our lives back. The whole thing was a failure. Here's little Fauci though, the worst of the worst, saying we're not there yet on unmasking kids in schools. He likes to abuse children. What are your thoughts on children, first of all, needing to wear masks at school? And what do you think about the possibility we're going to be able to lift? Well, certainly there will come a time, hopefully, later, when we will be able to lift the mask mandate in general, including to schools. But we're not there yet. Oh, we're there when he says we're there. 
the data. Who interprets the data? Who makes that policy decision? Him and his little cabal of government morons. They make the decision. I'm telling you, you have to, you have to ram this home now. They're not done with you. They're going to let it go for a little bit. Notice they're using the term suspension. They're using the term suspension. They're not saying it goes away forever. Are they embarrassed about the massive failure of the vaccine campaign, the mandatory vaccine campaign to stop the spread? Fauci's still saying it's great. Keep it going. Watch. First of all, do you like that? Proof of vaccination in public settings? And do you think it needs to continue? Well, you know, each individual jurisdiction, in this case, Chicago, um, has made that determination. Uh, I believe that that is one of the important ways to keep the indoor environment safe. So when the authorities in Chicago make that decision, I support it. How does it keep the indoor environment safe from spread? It didn't stop the spread of Omicron, not even a little bit. It's a joke. It's absurd. But what's he going to say? I'm a moron. I'm sorry I ruined so many businesses, so many lives, puts everyone through so much misery for no reason. They're never going to say that. That's what happened. They're not done with you yet. We'll have more on this with uh, the latest from Governor Kathy Hochul's decision to lift mask mandates for New York businesses. We'll talk to New York City Council Member Joe Borelli about that. Right now, let's talk about protecting the equity in your home. 100% of the equity in your home can be stolen by cyber criminals. Once it's gone, years of hard work and savings can be wiped out in an instant. The FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes, which is why you need to go to HomeTitleLock.com, America's leader in home title protection. Here's the problem. The deed to your home is the only document that proves you own it. And the deed to all our homes are online now. In minutes, a criminal can forge your name off the deed to your home and refile as the new owner. Like one new homeowner who spent a fortune in legal fees when a thief forged himself onto the deed to his home and took out loans. Or another homeowner whose common identity theft service didn't protect her after a criminal forged the deed to her home and had her evicted. They could have been protected, however, with Home Title Lock. HomeTitleLock.com is your peace of mind that the deed to your home is protected online. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. New York City Councilman Joe Borelli is coming up after the break. Has the medical science changed or is it the politics? Political science, if you will. New York Governor Kathy Hochul said the tremendous progress hmm, has allowed the state to move into a new phase Hochul, who has a vaccine pendant necklace because she's a lunatic, will be lifting the statewide indoor mask mandate effective Thursday, February 10th. This comes the day the order was set to expire after she announced a temporary extension of the mandate on January 28th. Mask mandates will still be in place for all schools and healthcare facilities. So what kind of science did the New York governor use to justify the suspension of indoor mask mandates and the extension of school masking? Let's ask New York City Council member and the sage of Staten Island, Mr. Joe Borelli. Joe, good to see you. You too, Buck. Thank you. I, I don't know what science it is. It's definitely not the weird science movie that you and I grew up watching, that's for sure. It's remarkable to see how all of a sudden the polls look pretty bad for continued restrictions and everyone saying in a lot of other states, what the hell did we just go through exactly? Like, what, what did masking accomplish when you had so many states with all-time case records, by the way? Almost like masking is a pretty damn ineffective policy no matter what. What do you think uh, Hochul's... Walk me through the Hochul calculations here, because she seems like an imbecile to me, but you don't get to be governor unless you're at least kind of cunning. 
Well, you get lucky and you, you win a special election one time for Congress uh, and you live in a geographically important part of the state. Uh, the governor makes you a lieutenant governor and then unluckily gets caught up in his own sex scandal. So, I mean, I don't know if you have to be to be uh, governor of New York, uh, if, if Governor Hochul is actually providing the path of that. Uh, but what we're seeing, though, is a political calculation. Uh, the New York Times even reported that a collection of governors, not just from New York, but California, Illinois, Virginia, New Jersey, were actually having secret backroom conversations uh, where they discussed the science, whatever that means, and they discussed the political ramifications uh, and political focus groups on the lockdowns. Uh, if Governor Hochul or, or even Governor Murphy uh, left the, the bubble of Trenton and Albany uh, and actually went to restaurants and businesses around their respective states, they would have realized that almost no one outside of crazy Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, and downtown Manhattan are actually following the guidelines of these mandates. Nobody in Poughkeepsie uh, is masking up when they go into their restaurant. So this is more the governors of these states uh, reacting to the, what's happening in, with their own cities, what people are doing on their own, uh, and just changing the policy. It's unfortunate and it's insane that the one place that we can't let people make their own decisions because the people are children and the teachers are employed by the city or state or school district are in school. And it's, it's an abomination that we still have it. Yeah, and there's still a lot of mask mandates that will remain in effect. We've got a list of them here, Joe. This is in New York State, of course. State healthcare settings, nursing homes, correctional facilities, schools and child care facilities, homeless and domestic violence shelters, all forms of public transportation. I mean, that's the one that I look at, I go, huh? So, so now you have to mask up on the bus or a train, but not in a crowded bar? What, what, like, what the hell is this? Well, what, well, Joe, Joe, tell me it ain't so. And look, I'll give them the nursing homes, right? Let's give them the yeah, nursing homes. Fine. Right? I mean, Folks. masks don't work, but fine. Uh, you know, I get it. They're scared. People are scared. Nursing home. I, I get you. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you know, you have to put a mask on to get on a bus to go to anywhere, literally anywhere else in New York City or elsewhere uh, and be maskless for the entirety of the rest your day. I mean, but we saw this from the beginning of the pandemic with airline travel, where uh, if you were like me and did a little bit of traveling during a pandemic, you take off from, from JFK or Newark Airport, where people were dressed up in spacesuits, and you'd land in somewhere in, in, in regular America, in real America, and you'd see everyone but, uh, rather, everyone but employees of airlines and employees of the airport not wearing masks. I mean, that's what essentially has been, is going to happen now when we still require them for certain settings. It's just gotten to the point where it's so silly. And, and I think you asked me earlier, what do you think happened to cause this? I, I think back to the fable, the, the Hans Christian Andersen fable of the emperor's new clothes, where everyone was just going along with this complete fabrication uh, until one little kid in the crowd said, no, 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 the emperor's naked, the emperor's naked. And that sort of started the chain reaction, if you remember the, the, the story. And that's what we're seeing right now with these these mandates, because suddenly it's, it's popular. It's chic. Even Ted Lieu is saying that we have to respect natural immunity. Uh, so it's become chic in Democratic circles to, to, to say 180 degree different things than you said just a week ago, uh, because that's following the science, of course. I, I want to ask you, New York City, right, under my understanding of the state ruling here is that they're saying there's no state mandate for restaurants, bars, public, you know, not, not the facilities we showed, basically other places you're going to gather stores, grocery stores, stuff like that. But is New York City probably going to keep 
the mass mandate and the, and the vaccine mandate even beyond the state order? Because my understanding is the state leaves it open to localities. Do we know? I, I doubt they will. Uh, you know, I, I have to think that the city was more in mind when the governor made this decision, uh, because like I said before, this, the city uh, and really the progressive parts of the city, if you go to any of the outer boroughs where actual New Yorkers live, no offense, Buck, uh, but you'll see no one's really following the mandate anyway. Uh, but this, this uh, mandate really is geared with the city in mind. So I do imagine and my conversation with Eric Adams, uh, you know, private conversations, uh, he seems willing to get rid of this once the state uh, gets rid of theirs, which they've now done. So I would be surprised if they keep mandates where the governor has not authorized and demanded a mandate be in place. I would be very surprised if we keep it. I, I think this new mayor, uh, for, for better or worse, does realize that the future of the city uh, is rested on the backs of the small businesses. And if we're not open for business, if we're not open for office workers to come back, and have an enjoyable, comfortable time here in New York, as they once did, whether it's crime or mandates, we're never going to get the city you know, back in the right track again. One day, Joe, you're going to have to explain to me how Staten Island managed to steal all the love of freedom that should exist in Manhattan and move it all to Staten Island. I don't know how you guys did that, but it was a remarkable feat. But for right now, I, I act... The ferry? We yeah, you just took... <laughs> You just took it all on the ferry. All the love of freedom showed up in Staten Island, got stolen from Manhattan somehow. But you got to tell me this, man, just real quick. We got about a minute. Cuomo might make a comeback. Come on. Is this real? Is this for real? Attorney General for the state of New York? Bring it. Nothing, nothing will be better for the Republican chances than Andrew Cuomo back on the ballot. And by the way, Republicans just got a bump of the working family party, a popular and important third party in New York just endorsed Jumani Williams for governor. So now there will be a Democrat, Kathy Hochul, and an even more radical far left candidate, Jumani Williams, on the ballot, sucking up those Democratic votes. So I hope Cuomo's on the ballot too. That'll drive turnout against us, against them. Uh, and this thing with Jumani Williams is very important. We're gonna be talking to you more about it. Joe Borelli, the Sage of Staten Island. Good to see you, sir. You too, thank you. Fentanyl overdoses have become the leading cause of death for Americans between the ages of 18 and 45, and a new report shows that Mexico has become the dominant source for the deadly drug. Coming up, we'll talk to the Center for Immigration Studies' Art Arthur about how this poison is flooding over our border and what, if anything, is being done to stop it. First, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and is offering instant messaging and email that is truly secure. All of your communication with Secure is based in servers in Switzerland. Big tech can't spy on you. They'll never mine your data and never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to whomever with total secrecy and protection. Secure is your solution to the constant theft of your digital identity. Costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combo package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. As the border crisis continues to overwhelm our southern states, illegal migrants aren't the only issue the Biden administration needs to focus on. A flood of fentanyl has entered the U.S. through illicit means at an alarming rate, tragically claiming more lives of American teenagers every day. A new report from the Commission on Combating Synthetic Opioid Trafficking says that Mexico is now the dominant source for fentanyl coming into the U.S., 
It was more than 10,500 pounds of it seized at the southern border last fiscal year. The drug is manufactured in illegal laboratories in Mexico using precursors from Asia and is trafficked principally by land into the U.S. So what is the White House doing to combat this flow of drugs and the crisis that it creates? Let's ask the Center for Immigration Studies fellow Art Arthur. Art, good to have you. Thank you for having me, Buck. So can you just explain what is the, the process, if you will, what, what is the pathway that the fentanyl that now is killing uh, two-thirds of drug overdose victims, over 100,000 total OD victims in 2021 alone, what is the process? How is it getting to our border? How is it crossing our border and then entering U.S. cities? There are two ways for the cartels to smuggle drugs into the United States, including fentanyl. One is to hide it within vehicles crossing over the uh, border uh, through the ports of entry. Uh, the other way is to simply bring it across the U.S. border. Uh, in many places, there is no wall. There are no impediments. Uh, smugglers can simply bring drugs right across the border, right into the United States. So recently, Texas Governor Greg Abbott warned that uh, law enforcement had already seized enough fentanyl by dosage to kill 222 million Americans at the border, a stunning number. Do we have some sense as to whether the flow let's say over the last 12 to 18 months, you know, roughly coinciding with, uh, with, with a big chunk of the pandemic, are, are we seeing an increase in the fentanyl in this country? Are we seeing it roughly stay the same? How, how is the flow actually coming in and, and what do the numbers look like? Well, regrettably, we can tell by drug deaths in the United States that the flow of fentanyl into this country has increased. In fact, it surged. Uh, more than 100,000 people died uh, last year of overdose, and most of those were from fentanyl. So we know that the flow has increased. We also know that seizures at the ports have increased. But the problematic thing is we really haven't seen seizures along the border increase, particularly at uh, in those sectors where we've seen huge numbers of illegal aliens. Take Yuma, Arizona, for example. In Yuma, Arizona sector, uh, between May and September, they seized 18 pounds of fentanyl. That's about 57% less than they had uh, seized in the same months the year before. However, during that period of time, the number of illegal migrants seized at the border increased 20 times. There are about 782 agents down there. They're overwhelmed. They can't stop the migrants. They certainly can't stop the drugs. I want to know what you think would be effective here. What would be meaningful at the border to try to stem the flow? What do those measures, policies look like that the Biden administration could? I mean, they're certainly talking about this issue right now. The White House is giving its attention. So if they were serious about stopping the flow of drugs into the country and less focused on, say, buying crack pipes for people so that they have clean crack pipes to use, what would they be doing at the border? They would be deterring uh, illegal migrants from entering the United States. The problem that we have right now, Buck, is Border Patrol agents are, are so overwhelmed apprehending, processing, caring for, feeding illegal migrants, they don't have the ability to actually patrol the border. It's important to note that Border Patrol doesn't just stop illegal aliens from coming to the United States. They stop all contraband drugs, weapons of war, guns from entering this country. If they can't do that job, they're not going to be able to stop those drugs from coming into the United States. Cartels are logical actors. They're evil, but they're logical. And they're going to uh, move their drugs across the United States the easiest way with the lowest risk. And right now, that's across the land borders of the United States illegally. 
I mentioned this uh, a little bit. The Biden administration is providing grant funding to pay for the distribution of, sm of safe smoking kits, will include pipes used to smoke crack, as part of efforts to reduce harm from substance abuse over the next three years. You know, what do you make of this? I mean, is this is this likely to have any meaningful impact? What is the what does the Biden White House think they're going to do to help with the opioid crisis that will help or that won't help? I mean, what, what, how do you assess it? It, uh, it? Regrettably, Buck, it just looks like they're managing decline. I was born in the city of Baltimore, and I've seen the effects that, uh, you know, unmitigated drug use in the city of Baltimore has had in hollowing out of one's great city. Regrettably, the same ideas are being used across the United States now, implemented again, as you noted by the administration. What we need to do is we need to cut down on the supply. And the only way to cut down on the supply is to secure the border. And the only way to secure the border is by implementing policies like those President Trump had that deterred illegal migration to the United States. Switching gears for a second, as of today, U.S. Citizen and Citizenship and Immigration Services has a new mission statement under Biden, uh, UCS, uh, USCIS, uh, removed mention of lawful immigration, protecting Americans or securing the homeland, and now simply upholds America's promise as a nation of welcome. What do you make of that change? So I used the phrase managing the decline before, and that seems to be exactly what they're doing in this case. Lawful immigration is supported by Americans. It's supported by the Center for Immigration Studies. As a judge, I swore in immigrants on my day off uh, as citizens. What we can't do is blur the line between legal and illegal immigration. Civil rights icon Barbara Jordan uh, said that more than a quarter century ago, but unfortunately, Ms. Jordan's lessons have been lost in this modern age. So USCIS needs to move back to a system by which it can adjudicate legal applications quickly to allow people to work and live in the United States legally. But the fact is DHS needs to cut down on illegal immigration to the United States and stop blurring that critical distinction. Last year was one of the worst ever for illegal immigration into the US. Some would argue, I think, in some ways, the worst that it has ever been, uh, certainly in, in memory. Are you expecting that this year is going to be perhaps as bad or even worse? And, and if not, why not? So you brought up a very good point. 1.659 million illegal aliens were apprehended by Border Patrol at the southwest border in FY 2021. That's the largest number we've ever had. Those yearly totals go back to 1960 uh, when there were like 22,000 aliens apprehended at the southwest border. The trend lines are uh, just as bad, if not worse, during the first three months of FY 2022. We're reaching new monthly totals for alien apprehensions at the southwest border every month. We're going to hit 2 million, 2.5 million, possibly 3 million, unless something changes and quickly. Art, the expertise is appreciated, sir. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. The Windy City has experienced a dramatic rise in carjackings over the past few months, and Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is blaming remote learning. Chicago Alderman Raymond Lopez joins us to give his take on Chicago's carjacking epidemic. Stay with us. We are seeing an inordinate number of juveniles that are the perpetrators of these carjackings. I'll be frank and say, um, in Chicago, um, there was a uh, correlation that we believe between remote learning and, um, and the rise in carjacking. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot blaming remote learning 
for the recent dramatic surge in carjackings in her city since the start of the start of the pandemic. Lightfoot pointing out that at least 50% of the carjackings are committed by juveniles. So what's really going on here? Let's ask Chicago Democratic Alderman Raymond Lopez to get right to the bottom of this. Uh, Alderman Lopez, thank you for being with us again. Always a pleasure. All right. So you know, there are some areas of American life where I think we could all still agree we've got a very bipartisan and even beyond political interest. One of them is in public safety and stopping carjacking, stopping shootings. We got to know what the cause of these things are, what the realities are that a city like Chicago faces. So just tell us what's actually going on with these carjackings and what do you think of the mayor's stance that remote learning has something to do with it? Well, first off, let me just say that we know that particularly in cities like Chicago and other big democratic cities, that oftentimes the main driver of the violence and the criminality that we see is the lack of repercussions, that politicians are not holding criminals accountable for their behavior. And when you know you could get away with stealing, theft, carjacking, or even murder, you're gonna do it. And that's what we have propelling the numbers in the cities across America, particularly in Chicago. But to hear Mayor Lightfoot say that it's because of the students and remote learning is very interesting to me because clearly she's grasping for straws and trying to deflect responsibility onto anyone, in this case, elementary school kids, as opposed to taking responsibility for her failed policies in the city of Chicago, which incidentally also included sending all of our children home to remote learn. So in a way, she's pointing to the the finger directly at herself because she is the root cause if remote learning is the problem. The uh, Chicago Teachers Union put out a statement today. Every child in our public schools in Chicago deserves an apology from the mayor who claimed with zero evidence there was a correlation between remote learning in 2020 and an increase in carjackings, which may have been growing, which have been growing rather across the nation. So is Lori Lightfoot, the mayor here, is she just She's just coming up with something to make it sound like it's, what, not, not the fault of, of her administration and the lack of, what, support for law enforcement? It just seems like a bizarre thing to bring remote learning into the conversation, especially, as, as you point out, I mean, she was pushing for remote learning for a long time. Well, first off, she pushed for remote learning. She's also making the case that from 2020 till present, that has all been because of our students, when in fact, our students have actually been back in the classroom this entire school year. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about her argument is that, you know, we have 300,000 kids, most of them who are, you know, under fifth grade. And if she's accusing them of being carjackers, you know, there's more to this argument that she wants to let on. And the fact that she clearly doesn't take responsibility for the policy she's put in place, she clearly doesn't take responsibility for the fact that she has pulled officers out of the neighborhood districts to create a, a super force all for her own, that she's dismantled the tactical units that would focus on this, that she's defunded the detective units that would have caught and found these individuals out sooner. All of those were her machinations. All of those had nothing to do with CPS or its students, but yet she's still constantly pointing the finger at somebody else because she clearly does not know how to take responsibility. But what is most important to remember is that her reelection is in 15 months. So she's going to mad scramble right now to try and find anyone to blame. And in this case, you know, third and fourth graders. Alman Lopez, I'm wondering, you mentioned this before, um, and there is this, no, there is this issue of crime rising in, in major cities across the country. 
uh, Houston, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, the biggest cities, and then even down to mid-sized cities, continue to have these, these major crime problems, violent crime, things like carjackings. In New York, where I live, so I know the situation here, uh, Alvin Bragg, the new district attorney, has gotten a tremendous amount of pushback for essentially his proclamation when he took office that he wasn't going to push for criminal sentence of any kind, a carceral sentence, he called it, for a range of crimes, including armed robbery. Can you just tell us what is the situation in Chicago when it comes to the uh, prosecutorial decision-making around major crimes? And put aside, you know, petty, petty things on the street, uh, the more major crimes, are they taking this soft on crime approach or are they actually starting to give pretty serious sentences to people that are engaged in things like carjacking? No, they are not giving strong sentences, sentences excuse me. They are still very much pursuing pro-criminal policies from Kim Fox and our, as well as our chief judge, Tim Evans, who are doing everything they can to be overly lenient to those who don't deserve any kind of sympathy or, or leniency from the criminal court system. What we continue to see in the city of Chicago are efforts to move the goalposts further and further to allow the greatest amount of criminality possible. For example, in the city of Chicago, in the county of Cook, a felony in terms of uh, retail theft was $1,000 in merchandise. Now it's up to $10,000. So you can literally wow. walk out of the store with $9,999 in merchandise and not be charged with a felony. Additionally, the state of Illinois recently passed a law where if you are shooting at a different target and unintendedly kill someone else, you do not have to worry about being charged with that person's murder because that was not your intended target. We have a, a series of bizarre and asinine policies being pushed by my Democratic colleagues, all in the name of criminal reform and justice. But at the end of the day, the only ones that they're not concerned about are the victims of the violence that's being perpetrated on our streets, whether they are personal, people, or business. Is there a, a, a wave, if you will now, a movement, some momentum for what I'd have to call just more rational people, Democrats, whatever Republicans there are in, uh, in Chicago along with them, who have ideas for how they can stop the carjacking, stop the shootings, or at least limit them. I understand we're talking about criminal justice, you're really looking at the numbers and reductions, but are, are there plans? Do you have a plan? What would you like to see? Well, I think first off, there definitely are, there definitely is a growing sentiment of pushback that the pendulum has swung so far to the left in terms of being overly liberal and generous to criminals that we wanna see that pendulum come back to the center where you can hold people accountable for their crimes. I and a number of my colleagues will continue to push forward both within the city as well as at the state level to make sure that our laws are common, based on common sense, that there's accountability, and most importantly, that we bring back the best anti-violence measures that we can possibly have, which is our re-engaged parents. Because too often in many of these situations, when particularly when young people are involved, no one ever asks, where's the parents and what, what are they doing to create better children? So we need to focus on that, focus on our values, and make sure that we are sending a strong message that if you have a rap sheet that's two pages long, you will not be given carte blanche as though this was your first mistake. Alderman Lopez, appreciate you bringing your insights here to the show. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Mark. Joe Rogan firing back at critics, calling a recent wave of attacks on him a hit job. <laughs> you don't say. We'll have the video for you and more in Quick Hits.
Joe Rogan calls the recent attacks on him a political hit job, and protesters up in Ottawa define new rules making it illegal to bring gas to the Freedom Convoy. Those stories and quick hits. Let's get right to it. Look, they're going after Rogan with all they've got. They created this video of out-of-context usage of the word that, of course, you are not allowed to say as a white person in America or as a non-black person, I should say, anywhere. Uh, not allowed to say the word. They pulled together a compilation, and he has been under tremendous heat. But why did this all get started again? Oh, it's because of his conversations around and about the vaccine. It had nothing to do with race issues. And the clip of him saying the word you can't say is from 12 years ago, or at least starting 12 years ago. So what was going on here? Joe Rogan realizes, first of all, he's tried to apologize. Never a good idea. Never a good idea. Uh, then he tried, well, first he tried to explain himself, then he tried to apologize. Let's all be very clear. You bend the knee to this left-wing mob and you give them your head and they will take it. They are not looking for you to be penitent. They're not looking for you to try and make amends. They want to destroy you. So Joe Rogan is seeing what a political hit job actually looks like and it sounds like he understands that's what he's up against. You know, in a lot of ways, like all this is a relief. Because it's like, just because that, that video had always been out there. Right. It's like, this is a political hit job. And yes. so they're taking all this stuff that I've ever said that's wrong and smushing it all together. Right. But it's good because it makes me address some that I really wish wasn't out there. You should apologize if you regret something. Yes. This idea that you should never apologize. Yes. Like, if you regret something, I don't think there's anything wrong with apologizing. But I, I do think you have to be very careful to not apologize for nonsense. Correct. Mm. Don't apologize for nonsense. Don't be forced into apologies that you know aren't asked for in good faith. Important rules, folks, for everybody out there. So the Freedom Convoy is continuing in Ottawa, and they're going strong. In fact, there are now Freedom Convoys popping up all over the world, and there's no end in sight for it, which is great because they're putting real pressure on the government. So what is Justin Trudeau, the ultimate beta male, a man whose very presence on a television screen can cause the viewer to have a drop in testosterone, what does Justin Trudeau say? Oh, that these are white supremacists, they're racist, Nazis even, they fly Confederate flags. In Canada? Really? Well, that's a lie, of course. That's not what's going on. That's not fair at all. That's a smear. Here is Canadian Sikh Member of Parliament, Jasraj Singh Halan, calling Trudeau out for being a liar and saying that all the people opposed to mandates are white supremacists. Watch. Those speaking out against the mandates and the restrictions are not white supremacists or extremists like the Prime Minister tries to label. They are everyday Canadians who just want a clear path forward out of this pandemic so they can get on with their lives. Canadians' lives, businesses and mental health have all been devastated and our Conservative team has been asking for this clear path forward for the last year. True leadership unites people, no matter their views. But this Prime Minister demonizes anyone who doesn't agree with his ideologies, calling people racist, even though he did blackface and kicked strong ethnic women out of his caucus who stood up against his corruption. It's time for this Prime Minister to stop politicizing the pandemic and start listening to Canadians who have suffered enough. Jajraj Halan, getting it done there. Good stuff, good stuff from him. Speaking of getting it done, there are uh, protesters who are people supporting the protests up in Ottawa, the Freedom Convoy, who aren't going to stand idly by while the police somehow are seizing gas. You can't bring gas to people. 
Protesters are marching with gas cans now, saying that you can't make this illegal. We're going to stand up to you. Watch. thing and people fight for it. And then there's this. A woman is seen putting a mask on her dog in a store. She, of course, the human, is maskless. I, I almost can't believe that this is real, guys. Like, is that really, wait, is that really, a, that she's putting a mask on a dog? That is completely insane. I can't, I, wow. I, I mean, but there are people who are nuts. They've lost their minds. So I guess that's a thing that happens sometimes. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high.